Okay, now, last week, we did something near the end of the message called meditation. And I had some feedback afterwards that meditation is kind of an intimidating thing. And right when I say those words, you're like, you know, okay, that's for like the super holy people and that's not me. So I can't really connect during that time. Now, what I wanted to do is just explain a little bit about meditation so that in the end, when we go into it again, you're going to be a little bit more equipped. Okay, so just some basic teaching and instruction about meditation. What does it mean to meditate? To meditate means you go deeper into God's word. Or rather, you let God's word go deeper inside you. Okay, to meditate is to make God's word go from your head to your heart, to make it go from like this concept to personalizing it to real life. So it's not just this ethereal concept that's floating around, but it's, it's real and it's personal. Okay? And the goal of Christian meditation, do you guys know that you meditate all the time? You know what it's called? Worry. Right? You ruminate in your mind something bad, right? That is a form of meditation. Now, Christian meditation is the opposite of that. You're ruminating something in your mind, but it's good. It's the scripture. It's thoughts about God. And so, here's the goal of meditation. Okay, so if you, if, if during those two minutes, you hit this goal, you're doing well. The goal of meditation is to simply enjoy God. If you're meditating and you're enjoying God, you are actually reaching the goal for why you're actually meditating in the first place. The best way to glorify God is to enjoy Him. And so that's that's the goal. I'm going to walk you through that part so it's to kind of demystify it, and maybe you can take it and apply it in your own quiet times outside of church. Okay? Now let's pray. I want you all to stand. We're going to pray, and then we're just going to dive right into a lot of things that I want to talk to you about today. Lord, I thank you for everyone here, and I pray that you would fill us with the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you better. Reveal something about yourself to us that would make it just go, whoa. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Now, I've been a pastor long enough to know that on a given Sunday, when Peter gets up here, or a worship leader gets up here and says, let's worship, that not everyone is in this frame of mind to worship. That you're not here like, like yeah, I want to worship God. But really, you're, you're probably um, thinking about a lot of things that happen during the week. And you're probably burdened by a fair amount of those things that happen during the week. And so you come here and you're you're tired and you're burdened. And it's not like the first thing that's going in your mind is like, I just want to worship God. You know, yay, Jesus. It's not like that. I realize that. And so what I asked my son to do, I commissioned him to do this because I'm looking for ways to actually give him money. But he has to earn it. And so what, what I asked my son to do is to draw a picture. And I thought this picture was pretty perfect. And I thought it was really reflective of how a lot of us come to church. And you kind of come to church like this. Okay, this is a picture that he drew. Guess how much I paid for this picture? One dollar. Okay. And, and so this is, this, is, this is you. 
you're this you're this girl, and you have you have this look on your face. You're you're worried about something. You're anxious about something. And I think that's that's probably fair. A, a lot of us here today are worried about something. Now, the girl in this picture is worried about this monster. Right, and it's, this monster is pretty intimidating. It's got three eyes, it's got four arms, and it's got two swords. The swords was the last minute uh, installation. <laughs> now, you, you feel like this. Maybe you can relate to this. You're here today, and it's not like, oh yeah, I just want to praise Jesus. It's more like, you know, I've got this monster that I'm facing, and I'm worried about it. Now, I just want to ask you today, what monster are you facing in your life? Again, I know we got all sorts of monsters that we're, that we're going toe-to-toe against. For some of you guys, it's not something that happened last week, but it's like, I always thought that at this place in life, I would be in a different place. I would have these things, these relationships would be going, I would have a relationship, you know, these, these expectations that I had are not met, and th- those, are, those are my monster. Now, for all of you, it's, it's a broken relationship. For all of you, it's something at work. It's financial. There's something going on in your life, and it's pretty intimidating, and you're worried about it. Now, I bet you that's like 90% of the people that are here today. Now, this is, this is the word that I have for you. I want you to look at this picture again. Uh, you're relating to this girl that's in the picture. I don't know what your monster is. But my word to you guys is that actually, in reality, this monster is not as big as you think it is. You go, you don't understand, Pastor Andrew, this monster problem is a monster problem. And I would say to you, no, it's not. Okay, Okay, bear with me, bear with me. I'm not being insensitive, I'm just saying, bear with me. Just perspective, just reality check, okay? Uh, I'm going to tape this... Right here, okay? I'm going to take this right here. So this is you, and this is your problem, okay? You're like, here I am, and here's my problem. It's pretty big, you know? It's big. And I'm saying to you, it's actually not that big because, Doug, it's actually not that big because, because, wait for it, it's coming, No, that's not it. It's coming. It's coming. (laughs) We're we're, we're dying with anticipation here. We're waiting with bated breath. This better be good, Pastor Andrew. It's coming. Thank you. Thank you. Now, this is a reality check. I, I know that a lot of you guys are right here. I, I have this monster in my life. It's very timid. It's very big. And my word to you is it's not that big compared to the size of your God. Your God is much bigger than your problem. Now, a, a lot of us live in a world where it's like big problem and small God. And let me tell you, if you have a big problem and you have a small, helpless God, you should constantly worry. You should. Because anything can happen to you. And it would be horrible. And you would be helpless and he would be helpless to, to help you. He could give you like a Hallmark card. I feel really sorry about what's happening to you. I, you know, I feel for you. But I can't really do anything about it. If you have a small God, 
be worried. You should be worried. But my, my point is, we do not live in a world with a small God. We live in a world with a, with a big God who's in full control. Now, if you live in a world with a big God, then all your problems become these little problems. Big God, little problems. And this is an incredible invitation to everyone here to live a life that is free of anxiety, that is free of worry, because you have such a big God who's in control. That's the invitation for you. You can live a life where you can absolutely refuse to worry, refuse to be anxious. You can live a life of joy. Now, what I want to share with you guys today is the sovereignty of God. My message today is about the sovereignty of God. Now, it's a great word, sovereignty. Sovereignty is a great word. And I'd like to define it like this, but I'd like you guys to read it with me. Uh, the definition of sovereignty, okay? Sovereignty defined. Read it with me, please. The sovereignty of God means that he is before all things. He created all things. He is above all things. He knows all things. And he accomplishes all things. What's the word that keeps on getting repeated? All things, okay? All things before Created, above, knows, accomplishes all things. So uh, keep this in mind. There'll be a quiz on this later. Um, now, if I could sum up the sovereignty of God in four words, I'm really into summing it up so that you can remember. What did, what did Pastor Andrew talk about? Well, God is in control. Those four words. If you remember nothing else from this message, remember God is in control. So you can relax. Now, wouldn't you like to tell someone next to you, relax, God is in control. Why don't you do that right now? But do it in a nice way. Relax, God is in control. Now, now, now if he's in control, that means three things. Okay, that these are, these are really cool theological words, and you can whip them out, and it makes you look really smart. So I just want to impart these to you. The first thing, okay, if God is in full control, that means, number one, he's omniscient. What does omniscient mean? Omniscient means that God knows all things. There is nothing that happens that goes, that escapes his noticing. Okay? I don't just see one angle, I see all the angles. That's omniscience. Okay? Omnipotent. What does omnipotent mean? Omnipotent means all-powerful. Uh, it means God can do whatever he wants, uh, uh, whenever he wants, and nobody can stop him. Okay, the last thing is omnipresent, which means all-present, which simply means God is everywhere. He's got eyes on everything. He sees everything all the time. Okay, so God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. And if you can sum that up in four words, it means that God is in control. God is in control so you can relax. You don't have to worry. Now, that, that's the main idea of this message. And I think this message is profound. It's weighty enough that I, I could be done and I, I would feel pretty good about that. That's enough. But what I'd like to actually do with the, 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 the remain, remaining time of the message is to talk about two difficulties that we have with the sovereignty of God. 
Because it's not difficult for God to be sovereign, but from our end and our limited understanding, it's kind of difficult for us to understand. So I like to talk about two difficulties that we have with the sovereignty of God. The first one is kind of philosophical. The second one is more personal. The first one I think is easy to explain, although honestly, people have argued about this for centuries and centuries, and I'm arrogant enough to think it's very easy to explain. But the second one could actually take all day to explain, and I don't really have a lot of good explanations for the second one, although I'm going to stick with the scriptures and go there. First one is free will. Second one is suffering. Now, I have the audacity to believe that I can explain the, the tension between free will and predestination in two minutes. Yeah, that's, uh, that's just ridiculous, but I actually feel like, come on! Okay, well, just bear with me. Okay, uh, uh, let me put it this way. Okay, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, God is in full control. People have a hard time with that, and one of the objections they have is, wait, 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 wait a second. Are you saying that I don't have free will? Are you saying that I don't have choice to do whatever I want to do at this moment? That whatever I do is what he's actually telling me to do, that I don't have free will? I'll give you an example. In high school, I was in my philosophy class, and um, it, was, it was a very brilliant moment where the teacher was talking about predestination. Now, this is kind of a, a hyper form of Calvinism. It's more of an extreme. But basically, what he was saying is that God is totally in control, and so you don't really have free will. Everything you do is a product of what he wanted you to do. And so my friend, who's like this, who's a big, curly hair, uh, brilliant guy, kind of goofy, he goes, that's, that's not true. And you know, my professor, my, my teacher said, he said, you don't think it's true? Prove it. He goes, I'll prove it to you. I'm not kidding you. It was like, you know, uh, classroom, 20 students. He stands up and he goes, he, he twirls like a, and then he basically twirls out of the room and runs away. <laughs> that was a brilliant moment, right? And I'm not kidding you. He, he went out and he stayed out for like, like a couple minutes. You know, you're like, where, where did Jeff go? You know, this is like, he's a 16 year old, you know? And so, you know, the, the classroom was just applauding. That was really, really good. And he comes back in and he sits down and then he says, that's what I'm talking about. And the professor goes, you didn't prove anything. God wanted you to do that. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you, God wants you to do that so you can try to prove a futile point that you didn't prove. And so this is the problem that we have with uh, God's sovereignty. What about free will? Now, again, I said the entire book's written about this subject. I'm going to try to clarify it in two minutes. I really feel like it's not that hard if you realize that this is a Western problem. This is a problem for people of Western culture. Different generations, different cultures didn't have this problem. Uh, you see, for us, it's like, it's either God's in control of all things, or we have free will, but they can't be reconciled. And what the Bible does is it reconciles it. It's not either or, but it's both and. It's both and. You have a choice. Your choices matter. You are held responsible for those choices. And at the same time, God is in complete control. Everything you do is actually an outworking of his will and his plan. It's not just like, oh, yeah, yeah I know what you're going to do. 
It's that what you do is actually part of his plan, and he's working all things for the good of those who love him. Now, that, that's a verse in Romans I want to share with you. Romans 8.28. It's not just he is all-powerful and completely in control, but actually what you do, he works through that to bring good to those he loves. Okay? We know that in all things, just some things, just the good of all, all things, God works for the good. We talked last week about his, how, how good God, he, he wants to withhold nothing that, that is good from you. Uh, works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I'll give you an example of this. How many of you believe in the one? You know what I'm talking about, right? The college students know what I'm talking about. The one, the one theory, the one. That there is one person out there that God has destined from you, for you from long ago, who is to be your soulmate. How many of you guys believe in the one? If you're married here, raise your hand. I mean, I can't know how to, come on, your wife, your spouse is what? Yes. Yes, Don believes in the one. He's, he's, amen, amen. Now, I would, I would tell you, I believed, I, <laughs> it's right in here. I, I believe, I believe, I believed in the one. I believed in the one. And I was dating, dating Raynor for like, uh, two, three years. And suddenly it came time to make that decision. Well, I asked her to marry me. I, I asked God, I was on my knees. God, tell me what your will is, you know? And the craziest thing about that conversation is that I really, really felt God was saying, you decide. And it, it, it ruined my world. I'm like, what do you mean I decide? I am not prepared to make this decision all my life. I just thought you were going to make the decision because you see all the angles. I don't see many angles. You, what do you mean? I, I can't. I'm not qualified to make that decision. And I kept on feeling like God was saying, no, you decide. And so I said, well, if, if you give it up to me, I'm going to choose Reina. And I felt like you were saying, okay, go for it. Like, Wait, go for it, really? Now, I, I've been married for like nine years. Do I believe in the one? Absolutely I do. <laughs> no, no, no hear, hear me out. Back then, I kind of felt like, you know, Reina is one, but they're also probably a group of other good choices, good candidates. And so the, I guess the counterpart to the one is the many. <laughs> um, but, you know, you have other candidates who would be good choices. That's my point, right? And I did kind of believe that at that time. But now that I look back, it's that whole tension that's resolved. God, God's like, you know, you choose. But he's like, I already know who you're going to choose. And with your choice, you, you, you with your choice, I have divinely ordained things. I'm working through your choices. I'm going to bring it out for something really, really good. Did I have free choice? Absolutely. Is God working through that choice? Is that is any part of it not of his will? No. It was all part of his will. Okay, that took longer than two minutes, but I think I think that's a good uh, working understanding of free will and um, predestination. Okay. So, God is in control. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. Relax. God is in complete control. Okay, now that brings us to our second difficulty, if you will. Our second difficulty is with the problem, if you will, the problem of suffering. Now, I said before that I have some handles on this, but honestly, 
I don't have many handles on this because I'm going through suffering myself. And I've sometimes that you know I, I tell you I tell you about what's going on, and sometimes I don't. But sometimes I feel like you know I'm sure the church is 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 uh, tired of hearing me complain about my problems, and so I'm not going to you know go into the first person narrative too much. I, I will I'll tell you honestly that there are times where I'm like, God, I believe in you. I believe in your sovereignty. I believe you are good, 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 that you love me as a perfect father, but I don't, I don't get it. Why would you let this happen to this person? Why would you let this happen to me? I don't, I don't understand. This does not feel like you love me when I'm, I'm, I'm going through this stuff, when I see people that I love going through. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Now, let me share first the, the part that I do get. Okay, uh, James chapter 1. Uh, Count it all joy, my brothers. You meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, so you should you should you should count it, you should consider it joy when you go through various trials. Various trials are suffering. You should why? Because you know uh, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance must have its full effect in you, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Basically, if I could sum it up, suffering produces character. James is saying, listen, there's good in it. Suffering produces character. Now. I, have you ever have you ever been in the pit and you, you didn't know why you're in the pit? And then many years later you got out of the pit and then you look back and you go, I see all these things that were born in me. And the, the, the fruit that was born in me, I could never have experienced if I had not gone through the you, pit. You guys have all gone through that, right? Uh, just, just certain examples. Um, how many of you who are married today married your first boyfriend or girlfriend? Raise your hand. I, don't, I shouldn't ask people to, oh, someone did raise their hand. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, uh, maybe some of you, you know, it was your first, and you're not raising your hand because you're a little embarrassed, but that's fine. Um, if it wasn't your first boyfriend or girlfriend, doesn't that mean that you had other boyfriends and girlfriends? And I assume that you're not dating them still. <laughs> so doesn't that mean that you went through a breakup? And was that breakup painful? And when you broke up, weren't you, you know, I don't understand why, right? But what did you get by breaking up? Well, you learned what you're looking for and what you're not looking for, right? You became more experienced, more wise. Next time I'll never do this, right? And here's the thing. You could not be married to your current spouse if you did not let go of your boyfriend or your girlfriend, right? So somehow, God took what was bad, and he was working through it towards something that was good. You see that, right? Okay, okay another, another, another example. Another example. Um, I bet you, in the past two or three years, if you think about the major lessons that you learned in life, the major lessons you learned in life, I bet you at least one of them came with pain and suffering. And tell me if I'm wrong. I was looking at, I was thinking of the last three years of my life and the top three life lessons I learned. 
two of them, two of the three, came with a fair amount of pain and suffering, and I would not have have combed the depths, the riches of those lessons, if it had not been shrouded with pain and suffering. They, they go hand in hand. Uh, another example. Uh, how many of you know a person who has come to faith in Christ, and honestly, the thing that drove them to make that decision came from a source of pain and suffering. We, we, all, we all know people like that. We, we are people like that. You know, there, there, was a, there was a divorce, there was end-of-life issues, there was depress, depression, but it drove a person to say, I, I'm not complete by myself, I need some help, I need God. So I think you, you look at all this, and you kind of go, okay, so here is a God... You know, the, the big hand of God, and you would expect him just to, the little pinky just to crush this monster, but he doesn't crush it. And Instead, what he does is he says, you know, this monster is in place because I want to do some things through this monster in you, and I can't do them without the monster. So I'm going to keep the monster here. He's part of my control. All these things are part of my control, but it's working towards your good. We have a God like that. He doesn't crush the monster, but he works through the monster. And all the time, we just want him to crush the monster. Now, I, I bet you that for, for a good number of us, look, you, you went through a hard time when you're in the pit, you didn't understand it. Now you're looking uh, back, you're like, I grew, I grew. It was, it was, there was fruit, there was character. But some of us, maybe a lot of us, have certain things in your life. And you're thinking, look, five years, 20 years from now, I will never look back and say it was worth it. Never. But my parents did some things to me when I was young. I am permanently screwed up. I don't see any fruit coming out of that. This person violated me. This person passed away. If God healed him, there would be much more fruit than what he did in letting him pass away. I don't get it. I don't want to go on. Now, okay, for this, we have to go to Job. <laughs> so if you have a Bible, will you turn with me to the book of Job? It's right before Psalms. The book of Job. Now, for the rest of this message, I'm going to just get lost in the book of Job. Can I do that? I know we've, we've been handling teaching concepts and going into certain scriptures, but, but for the rest of the message, I'm just going to go into Job. I'm just going to go into Job. Okay? And the rest of the message would just be kind of explaining Job to you guys. Okay? Uh, let's talk about the character of Job. In the book of Job, there was a man who goes through the worst possible circumstance, and you have never seen a man in such a high place fall to such a low place. He, he's, a, he's a rich man. And in the course of one day, he loses all his riches and his stocks plummet. He's a family man with lots of kids. In the course of one day, he loses all his kids. Now, modern day equivalent is they were all on the same bus and then a bomb exploded. Okay, 
that alone would, would just, would just dev- completely, you know it, you would de- completely devastate you. There's more. Never seen a man go so high and then go so low. Uh, Job was a man in good health, but suddenly he contracts this disease with no cure. And so there's open pusses in his, on his body, and he's taking sharp rocks, and he's just basically scraping the open pusses. That's Job. Okay? And this, this all happened in a short period of time, and his life just became refuse. Seemingly overnight. In, in, in the course of, of several days. And, and so Job is this devastated, broken man. He's sitting on the ground with a couple of friends. No one says a word to him for seven days because they see how great his grief and his sorrow is. And then the first words that come out of his mouth, after seven days of just silence, you know what comes out of his mouth? <laughs> he, he, he curses. But he doesn't curse God. You know what he curses? He's like, I, I gotta, what, I gotta find something to curse because I wanna curse. You know what he curses? He curses the day he was born. He's like, I curse the day I was born and my birthday and the person who said, you have a baby boy. You know, I mean, he, I, and then you know what he does? For 34 chapters, he's just racked with pain and he's lamenting. He's got to just dialogue with his friends. Why would God let this happen to me? I don't understand. It's just, I, you, you know, he, he's just, he just, he's looking for answers and he's not finding any answers. He's just complaining. He's lamenting. He's in grief. He's in despair. And you know, you know what he wants? A guy, I read this and I think the very heart of Job is he, he wanted office hours with, with God. You get college students, right? You get, Office hours with your professor, at least your TA, you know? And like, like in the main service, I don't really know what you're talking about, but I just want to just take my case before you and just present it to you and just hear what you have to say in response because there's no way that a just and righteous God will look at my case and ever say that this was fair, this is not fair. So I just want to meet with you one-on-one. I just want to hear what you have to say. Just give me some office hours. I want a response. You know the crazy thing in Job? In chapter 38, God does what no one expected him to do. He actually responds. There, there's a whirlwind and there's a voice that's coming out of the whirlwind. God is actually talking to Job directly and addressing his issues and his questions. So turn in your Bibles to Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. So God's like, look, I know you have a lot of questions for me, but actually, brace yourself. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to address you. You brace yourself because I actually have questions for you. Okay? So it's like, you, you got to answer me, Job. And here are some questions for you. Okay? Question number one. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where, where, and how would Job, I mean, I mean, these are questions I, I want you to answer. How would Job respond? Well, I, um, I, was, I wasn't born yet. Actually, I wasn't even a cell in my father yet. And he wasn't a cell in, I just wasn't born yet, right? That's how we'd answer that question, right? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Who determined it? So I thought it was you that determined its measurement, Job's like, but but did you did you get someone else? Was it an angel that did it? I, I don't know. I wasn't there. Um 
Or who stretched the line upon it? Again, I thought that was you, but maybe that was someone else. On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sing together and the sons of God shouted for joy? That sounds like a party. You mean like when you created the world, there was a party? And the angels were like, whoa, that's awesome. I didn't know there was a party. Oh, there was a party. Okay. Or who, okay, this one's really cool. This is like, imagine like typing this out and framing it and putting it over your mantle. It's really poetic. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, described limit for it. He's talking about the sea and set bars and doors and said, this far shall you come and no farther. Here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? Verse 16, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? No. Have you, have the gates of death been revealed to you? You mean like the gates of hell? Like you've seen the gates of hell? That's kind of scary. Have the gates of death been revealed? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Verse 21. You know, for you were born then, right? And the number of your days is great. Here's a God that's employing sarcasm. I'm okay with a God who employs sarcasm. Are you okay with that? God's like, oh, since you are so old, and since you were around, why don't you tell me since you are so wise? You know, it's like, oh, okay. Uh, God is being sarcastic. <clears throat> Verse 25. Who left, who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt? So you mean like, God, you actually ordain where every thunderbolt goes? To bring rain on a land where there is no man, on the desert inn and where there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass. So, uh, just, uh, just a little bit, a little bit of a point. So here you have like a desert wasteland, okay? No one cares about a desert wasteland. I mean, when was the last time you gave a lot of thought to a desert wasteland? And here's God's like, you know, from season to season, I care about this thing. No one cares about this thing. And I provide water. I provide rain for this thing just to provide for it. My eyes see everything. You don't see everything. I see everything. I care about things you don't care about. I'm making provisions for things that you have no idea about. How many things do you have no idea about that I'm making provisions for? How many things do I see that you don't see? And there's, there's Pleiades, there's the stars. Apparently God arranges the stars, calls them out by name. Now in verse, now in chapter 39, this one's kind of fun, so I just go in there, it's 39. Um, verse 5, who has let the wild donkey go free? You guys remember that song, uh, who let the dogs out? You think like, this is like the Christian version of it, like, who let the wild donkeys go free, right? I mean, who, who let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey to whom I have given the arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place? He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains at his pasture and he searches after every green thing. Now, I want you to think about this, okay? Here you have wild donkey. And what's the first, you know, character image that comes to your mind? The guy on Shrek, right? Eddie Murphy, wild donkey, right? Though you have wild donkey, and he's in the arid plains, and he's kind of looking for whatever, and he doesn't have a care in the world. He doesn't have 
one day's experience of hard work. And now you have, on the other hand, in the city, city donkey. Wild donkey, city donkey. City donkey carries a heavy burden on his back, right? He's under the whip and the lash of his, of his driver. He's a useful donkey. He makes stuff happen. But wild donkey has no purpose, right? What's that wild donkey doing there? And who cares, right? God's like, don't you understand? Wild donkey is there simply because he gives me pleasure. That's the only reason he exists. He has no function or purpose that you know of, but he exists because he gives me pleasure. Everything happens as it gives me pleasure. You exist. If wild donkey exists because he gives me, you exist because you give me pleasure. Now, okay, we could go through all of chapter 39 and 38, but here's, here's the summary for you. God is basically saying, you wanted office hours with me. You wanted a private audience with me. You get it. Here it is. Here's my word to you. In all your situation, in all your sufferings, I am in full control. I am in complete control. I'm doing all things, big things, that you care about small things that you have no regard for, everything in between. I'm in full control. I'm making it all happen. You know the, the lightning bolt? I arrange where it goes. All the angles, I see all the angles. I see all of them. Ones that you know about, ones that you don't even care about. Ones, most of them you don't even see. Everything is going according to my plan. Now, Job wanted to know, why am I suffering? What answer does God give him? He doesn't really give him an answer, right? He doesn't give him an answer. Look, he doesn't give him an answer by way of explanation, but he gives him an answer by way of himself. Look at me. I'm a big God. I'm in complete control. I know all things. I do all things. I'm everywhere. So trust me. Trust me. And I know a lot of you are in that place and you don't understand. You're like 20 years from now, I'm never going to get why I'm going through what I'm going through now. Maybe you will never understand this side of heaven. But can you trust God? Is the character of God who knows all things, does all things, and works all things for your good. Is that enough for you to say, okay, I don't have the answer but you are the answer. And that is enough for me. That's enough. Job, he says this. He says to God in response, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, God, I realize you are unstoppable. You are in complete control. I don't know why, but I know you're unstoppable. I can't explain it, but I know you're good, and you're working all things for the good of those who love you. I can't explain it, but what I have to hold on to is who you are, and I can trust that, and I can trust you. 2,000 years ago, there was a man who had a very big problem. He was accused of something that he did not do. He was arrested and convicted and tortured. In fact, he was tortured to death. His friends and his family did not know what was happening and they started to fall apart with anxiety. They couldn't understand. They didn't know why they were discouraged. They were utterly, thoroughly hopeless. 
They must have felt like the problem was big and the God was small. But we don't live in a world with a small God and big problems, no. We live in a world with a big God, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He is in full control. Three days later, this man who was tortured to this rose from the grave. People intended Jesus' harm, but God worked with that and made it good to bring life to many, many people. Jesus was tortured to death to pay for the penalty of sin. He died so that we could live so that billions and billions of people after him could believe in him and receive eternal life. You see, God takes something horrible. He takes your monsters. And he works it for our good. God works all things for those who love him. Now, I'd like to take you into a a meditation time as a response. And so what I'd like you to do is to take out your card that says... uh, It's a meditation card. It says, God, beyond imagination on one side. You flip it over and there's a verse. Now what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to go ahead and fill in the blanks for this verse. And I want you to go ahead and fix your mind on the words that you're going to underline. The first word that I'd like you to underline is all. Would you just take a pen and just underline the word all? We know that in all things, all things, not just the things you can explain, the things you cannot explain, not just the good things, but the bad things, the horrible things, the treacherous things, the torturous things, all things, all things. God works all things. Just think about that for a few moments. That word, all. Now would you write in the word works? We know that in all things God works. So we would love him to take it away. We would love for him just to crush that monster. But God is actually working through that monster. He's working. He's working through the good things. He's working through the bad things. Focus your mind on God working. Now, in meditation, we personalize, we internalize. So imagine the things in your life, even the horrible things, and just imagine, focus your mind on that word works. God is working that out. He's working it. He's working it. He's using it. He's redeeming it. He's working. Just think about that for some uh, several seconds. I want you to write down the word good. All things God works for the good. 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 Just meditate on the word. He wants good things for you ultimately. He is working for your good. He will withhold no good thing for, 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 for you in his time. Just think about that. Just stay your mind on that. Just make that real. Who have been called according to his purpose. Would you write in the word purpose? It's not your purpose, it's his purpose. Apparently wild donkey exists just for his pleasure and purpose. You exist for his purpose. Not your purpose, his purpose. Now, again, I'm walking you through this meditation time. So what i like you to do is i like to show you a couple images. And I want you to fix your imagination and your mind on those images and what that means for you. What does that mean as we just read through the book of Job? 
is the first dimension. told every lightning bolt where it should go. The all-powerful God. I want you to look at this next image. Who created these? Who arranged them? Who calls them each by name? 